This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you are joining us today. This podcast is for parents or anybody helping raise kids, and I hope through each episode you feel supported, encouraged, and I hope you feel like you're getting a big hug from me and my guest on the show. My guest on the show today is Kim John Payne, who is an award-winning author who has worked passionately to help tens of thousands of people give voice to the feeling that something is not okay about the new normal of overwhelm that so many people are experiencing every day. He offers doable ways to realize the hopes and values we all have for ourselves and build deep connections with our children that gives our families resiliency and simple joy. So Kim John has been a consultant and trainer to over 230 U.S. independent and public schools. I loved this conversation so much. He shares with us the three developmental stages of childhood and what that looks like with child and parent. We talk a lot about screen time. You know I talk about screen time a lot. And we just couldn't get away from it in this episode. We talk about giving our kids space and really how to understand our kids a little bit better. Dr. Kim John Payne is the author of Simplicity Parenting, Being at Your Best When Your Kids Are at Their Worst, Emotionally Resilient Tweens and Teens, The Soul of Discipline, and he's also the author of the book called Beyond Winning, Smart Parenting in a Toxic Sports Environment. Wow, so many awesome books there. He also has a couple of children's books as well. All right, friends, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a quick rating and review on iTunes and Spotify. When you leave a new review on iTunes, you will be entered to win a pair of Gooder sunglasses. Gooder is one of the sponsors of this show. I draw a new winner every single month, so head over to iTunes. It's super simple. It takes like 90 seconds probably. Um, That's also just a really great way potential new listeners can find the show. And if you're finding this show beneficial at all in your life, I hope that other people can find that and feel that as well. Um, If you want to purchase a pair of Gooder shades, go to gooder.com slash another and use the code another15 for 15% off your order. Um, They're the best sunglasses. They're functional, fashionable. They have cute styles, sassy styles, classic styles, fun colors, classic colors, anything you might be interested in, they've got it. Gooder.com slash another. Use the code another15 for 15% off. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Dr. Kim John Payne. All right. Well, today on Why Is Everyone Yelling? We have Kim John Payne on the show. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. Well, I am so excited to talk with you today. Um, Interestingly enough, I am very of the mindset of simplicity and uh, slowing things down and not overscheduling our kids. So a lot of your work, as I was reading through it, I thought, yes, yes, yes. So I'm so excited to talk to you today. Can you can you share with us how you got started in this work with Simplicity Parenting? Yeah, it actually began for me a long time ago. Uh, as an undergrad, I was studying psychology and I always add, and now I'm okay. I always pop that. Um, I've recovered. Um, and I was living in a, um, a group home in the evenings uh, with um, very, very troubled teenagers. And I was living and working there every evening. But during the day, I was going to college. And there was a there was a fascinating doctor. And this is going back a ways. Fascinating doctor who was talking about his experiences in the Second World War, then the Korean War, then the Vietnam War. And... Um, he was talking about what we now know as PTSD. And it, and he was talking about soldiers who weren't doing so well. And I was thinking, oh, man, that's Warren. That's Maria. Oh, that. And I was going through a list of kids in my group home who I cared for deeply. Meanwhile, he was describing combat veterans. And I thought, hang on, what's going on here? Like, the, these kids are just like that. So, you know, uh, uh, he was describing nervous, jumpy, hypervigilant, over-controlling kids, kids who um, uh, uh, couldn't easily play together, 
you know, there was a lot of uh, anxiety, sleep issues. And I'm thinking, my goodness, that's just like the kids. I was just a young guy, but it was, it was unmissable. After I finished my uh, training, uh, after I was done with college, I volunteered, I traveled and volunteered in Southeast Asia. And I worked in a lot of uh, refugee uh, resettlement, refugee camps, worked in the um, Thai Cambodian refugee camps at the end of the Vietnam War. And there I saw it again. I saw kids who were nervous and anxious and over controlling and jumpy, a lot of night terrors, um, a lot of anxiety and fear issues. And so I thought, hmm, I understand this because they've come from a war zone. I get it. But um, I then uh, when my time was over there, I decided to study this a little bit more. Now, studying this has become fairly well known now. But back then, it was I had to really look around. I went to London in the UK to study it further. And I had a, you know, I know it's doing my sort of study in, into this. But um, into now what we would call trauma studies and so on and so on, lots of courses around it, around that subject. But I set up a little counseling practice west of London, you know, just a small little thing. And through the door came nervous, jumpy, hypervigilant, over-controlling kids with all sorts of, inf- I, I, you know, like they were just inflamed. There was an emotional inflammation going on, a lot of anxiety. And that, you see, now, Lindsay, this is where it got to be quite troubling because I thought to myself, you know, like I get it with I get it with kids in group homes who have been abused. I get it with kids in war zones, but what's going on here? What's happening here? These are ordinary kids from mixed racial, mixed ethnic, mixed uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, but they looked like wartime kids. And so that's what started me on trying to figure this out. For a little while, I didn't want to figure it out because it was just was too big, you know, if it was just just little me to figure out. But but it was um, it was a major puzzle, and that and so that's what started the journey. Where it took me has uh, even in those early days was quite remarkable because what I started to see is that these kids didn't have life-threatening events. They just didn't. It wasn't in their biography, couldn't see it. But what they had was what I came to think of as cumulative stress reaction. All the under under the radar stress that they were experiencing was like the new normal. It was like there was an undeclared war on childhood going on. And these kids looked like wartime kids and they didn't come from wartime. But it was unmistakable, the similarities in the jumpy and nervous and over-controlling and the very, uh, like an emotional hair trigger and difficulty with with, uh, sharing, with just any kind of social interaction could be a potential problem. A lot of over-controlling behavior towards parents, towards mothers, wanting to just control the environment towards teachers and so on. And so... I, I, that cumulative stress reaction is something that, you know, and this is back in the eighties, right? Like in the olden days compared to now, that's just kind of nothing much, but that's how, that's what got me started on this. And I've stayed on that path, really figuring this out and supporting parents ever since. Yeah. When you mentioned this, I, I think about a lot of us who have kids who struggle with a little bit of anxiety and oftentimes well, I have two two responses. One, I'm someone who struggles with anxiety. So when I, my son that does struggle, I think, okay, I feel it to my core. I, I, I can feel what you're walking through. But then I also have this response of, you have like such a simple, easy life. Like, why is this happening? You know? So why I wonder why it is happening. And and um, what were the first steps you took in in your research and finding out how we can guide these kids who are feeling these ways? You know, one of the things uh, that, that, that really helped me uh, understand this in my research, because I did, you know, um, some fairly, fairly in-depth research into this, was that all kids are quirky. They've all got their own little personalities and their own little quirks that makes them so lovable and so infuriating sometimes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's their quirk, and we love them for it, right? And... They might just be busy kids, for example, mm. and that's their quirk. They're always wanting to do stuff. Oh, or yeah. they might be um, 
really orderly kids and they like everything to be in its place and they don't like like to be taken by surprise mm. you know or they might be dreamy and it's so lovely you know it's so lovely that they're so dreamy that's their quirk but if if life is moving too fast mm. if it's just too much too soon too sexy too young too much then that quirk starts to become what I call a soul fever or an emotional fever. And that quirk starts to become inflamed and it starts to move along a spectrum towards being problematic or even a disorder. For example, the busy child becomes agitated, very agitated. And if life is moving too fast and then, and they're, the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems, the, the, uh, the, the parasympathetic just doesn't calm enough and it, and it starts getting outside that comfort zone, um, outside the nervous system's ability to reset, then that child, you know, there's every chance can become ADHD, ADD. Although I think that's a silly name. It's not attention deficit in any way, but anyway. Just what we, should we, we call under- it? <laughs> oh, we should call it attention priority issues mm. because it's not attention deficit. It's attention excess point number one mm-hmm. and point number two. It's not even a problem of excess. It's a problem of, of multiple attentions. Like it's really silly for a, I believe for a parent or a particularly a teacher to say to a child, you're not paying attention. That child is paying attention but they're paying attention to something that, that's mm-hmm. in their internal loci. It's mm-hmm. inside them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, in the, it's in the periphery. I think of it as, as being in, in the town, in the neighborhood, and at home. Now, the teacher always wants a child in the house. Right now, be here, be now, here. But often a child's attention is in the neighborhood. Or it could be far away. So the teacher's talking about, you know, some math process, the child is thinking, I heard this once where a teacher I was observing and I'd been teaching this, you know, teacher in our, our, our grad school. And he, he was brilliant with this child. He went to the child and said, Jacob, what is it that you're paying attention to? And Jacob said, and he, oh, well, there's a puddle outside the door and everyone's going to have to go through it. And look, not everyone's bought their rain boots so i'm thinking this is a second grader right yeah i'm thinking of getting a great big board and building a bridge over the puddle only i don't know where to get a board from do you know where i can get a board and (laughs) it's gorgeous conversation so this teacher was talking about numbers and math and jacob was thinking about being kind to his friends that didn't have their rain boots but but to say to him you're not paying attention would make that little boy mistrust his own intuition his own him, himself so this teacher beautifully said well jacob do you know what i think i might know where to look for for a bridge you know and let's you know i've been talking about numbers and jacob looked at he said have you oh <laughs> and he said mm-hmm, yes uh, you know, like for the last half an hour. <laughs> yes. And um, you know what? I'll show you what we've been doing in just, you know, like, and then we will talk about your bridge building very soon. We will. And maybe we can even measure it and start dividing it up because we're talking about dividing. And I just, uh, honestly, I felt like slow clapping this teacher. What a, what a lucky little boy to have a teacher who didn't accuse him of not paying attention. Did you just happen to be there? Uh, no, I was doing an evaluation. I, I, oh, I had you were doing, with, okay. Yeah, well, a, a follow-up visit. I don't like to think of evaluations. Yeah, but yeah. It was a follow-up visit, and I had I had worked with this young man at my, um, yeah, at, 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 at my grade school. You know, as someone myself who has hard time paying attention, like I always did in school, I never got good grades, I really empathize with these kids that, are thinking about the bridges. Like I'm a dreamer and I'm always like thinking of, I should do this. I should do that. And I've really always had a hard time focusing. Now you take my husband, he could focus, focus, focus. He's not quit until it's finished. And I'm just all over the place. So I imagine as teachers, 
This can be really challenging. How do you walk with teachers through this process with the different types of kids? Well, I think that the, one of the first things to recognize, and, and that sort of actually neatly brings us full circle back to this thing about quirk, is to realize that that um, children aren't necessarily disobedient. They're just not. I don't. I honestly, I don't believe in disobedience. I, I what I see, and I, I've I've been a school counselor for years. I've met some right little rotters. I can tell you. Oh my. <laughs> goodness gracious <laughs> but i think they're disoriented yeah. they are not disobedient they just they don't wake up in the morning thinking i wonder how i can upset my parents and the teachers very few kids who do that um uh they are disoriented and what's happening is that they're pinging us they're trying because being emotionally disoriented is a really uncomfortable mm -hmm. place for mm -hmm. a human being to be in not just a child but for us too and so what they're trying to do is get oriented. And, and if we can know that we are being pinged and we can inwardly think to ourselves, I wonder why you're so lost, little child, my dear little one. I wonder why you're so lost. A couple of really important things happen. One of them is, is that it changes our face. We get these little wondering, we get these little wondering things at the corner of our eyes. Like, I wonder, you know, our face changes. Um, we round our shoulders a little bit. We, we, our posture is a wondering or even a let's play posture starts. And a child picks it up on a dime because when they're really grumpy little, you know, they're grumpy little gnomes, when they're very grumpy, they're also, do you know what I mean by they're very vulnerable? Mm -hmm. They're also scanning us. Mm -hmm. It's like when a little one, like one of your little uh, uh, little ones, Lindsay, picks up a, picks up her food, holds it, sitting up in her high chair, holds it out, looks right at you and mm -hmm. drops it. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you going to do about like that? Like poking it. Like, I'm just going to keep yeah. poking. <laughs> and, you know, this, this, um, th to know that we're getting pinged and, and to wonder why, immediately sends a message to a child that they're safe, that, that we, we are not quite so triggered. We're not going into a survival mechanism. Um, and the second thing it does is when we wonder, it's almost impossible to take it personally. Mm, which we do a you know, lot as wonder, parents. Right, right, right. And understandable, right? But if I wonder what's going on spatially i'm reaching outside myself and i'm wondering what's happening for a child rather than just hardening down clamping down and taking it personally that's one thing the other thing to understand is this is what we we're talking about before is that if a child's quirk is inflamed right so if they're a very organized child and life is moving too fast it's booming and buzzing and and, and, and we've succumbed to the new normal of parenting like a contact sport or something, like a parental arms race. And we're getting more classes and that parent's getting doing that. And I'm doing this. And, and that kind of breathless overwhelm that we experience as parents. One of the things we can do to, 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 to really center ourselves is understand that if we dial it back, if we simplify, then then the child not only becomes quirky again, what happens, and, and, I, and I say this not just from my own opinion, we have over 1,200 simplicity coaches and group leaders around the world, right? Wow. This is a, there's, a, there's a small grassroots little army out there, you know, having classes and helping parents through their struggles like this. So this is very much comes from many different countries, this feedback. is It's certainly mine too, is that the child's um, disorder when you start dialing life back, start quietening it down, start balancing it, start giving more decompression points, allow kids to be bored, less screens, less information overwhelm that comes through screens, just quieten it all down. It, they don't just return to being quirky. That's good. But it's they, they keep moving along that spectrum. And now their gift is there. The same thing that is their disorder, potentially, is potentially their gift. Mm. The very same child who was 
so-called ADHD, that child is the mover and shaker. But because the amygdala is not being triggered, mm. the fight or flight brain, or the disassociate brain, by the way, too, that child now knows the right thing to do because they're always they're always doing stuff but they know the right thing to do at the right time to the right people at the right volume <laughs> you know so so that's their genius is that they shift things they move things they can get things going they were always trying to do that but they would their timing was off so what i'm suggesting is this it's it's the same for all, for all different kinds of kids and knowing this means that if we can dial life back and really look at it and not buy into this ubiquitous new normal of of this this crazy overwhelm that our kids and our families we're, not, we're just not coping with it so well we weren't we weren't built to cope with it and we're not <laughs> coping mm. with it. So it goes into a generalized anxiety issue where we're always slightly moderately vigilant as parents. And then and then something little thing goes wrong or or and and we react. Mm -hmm. We react big time. It really inflames us. If we can simplify for not just our kids but for our families, it's it's it creates space. And the metaphor that I uh, um, I use that often comes to me is that there's like a, Lindsay, imagine a tap and it's turned on in this metaphor, it's turned on. And that's the water, that's all the stuff that's coming into a little vessel of a child. So a child has their little vessel, it's their little self, and, and water is coming in and it's filling up the vessel. What I mean by the water is play dates and mm. schoolwork and homework and sports clubs and all the things that we have to do for all the different transitions at school or transitions at homework. There's water coming into that little cup. Now, if there's too much water coming into that cup, as there is for so many children, what happens is it fills right up to the top and it just starts spilling over. Mm. And that spillage is what we call behavior. That spillage is, is anxiety. And what we and we've got a decision to make. Either, either we we spend our lives mopping up behavior and anxiety, you know, mopping up madly, or we turn down the tap. And and there's a choice. Do we turn down the tap or do we spend our life mopping up? And what what my hope is for us as families and more and more and more families are now uh, are really embracing this is we are going to turn down the tap no matter what my extended family says is normal no matter what other kids in the neighborhood and parents think is normal we are turning down the tap and these parents you know they they often it never fails to move me because it's moving them they they, they tear up and say i've got my little girl back I've got my little boy back. I cannot believe that, that that those decisions to dial things back, to really go low on no screen, to um, cut back on the number of clubs and play dates, to allow my child more downtime, decompression time. Um, I can't believe how much this has improved his, her, their behavior and it's usually only a week or two and you start to see it. It's very quick. Yeah. I, I almost think that my family has erred on the side of heavy, heavy simplicity in that regard. Sometimes I find myself twiddling my thumbs thinking, I wish we had somewhere to go tonight. <laughs> but I, as I mentioned earlier to you, I have four kids. So the, those, those seasons will start piling up a little bit more as more kids get involved in sports. I think one of the things people get worried about though, is I want to make sure I'm giving my kid as many opportunities as possible to explore the things they might love to do. And if I don't sign them up for basketball and tennis and soccer, like how will I know? And one thing I preach all the time is like, give your kids the opportunity to have free play. And I think I'm in a really fortunate situation because we live in a neighborhood that there's kids everywhere and they're always playing in yards. And I mean, that's how my boys learn how to play football. 
they didn't learn how to play because they went and signed up somewhere. They just learned from throwing with neighborhood kids in the yard. Um, but what about people that don't have those opportunities with like lots of kids flooding their yards and they do want to make sure they're exploring outside and, and trying new things enough. Do you know what I mean? I think of this as a, you know, there's a couple of things. It's a really fair question, right? I mean, it is, it's one that occurs to us all. It's, it's, there's so much good stuff to do, but too much good stuff, mm. um, just too much of it is not a good thing at all. Yeah. And just to pace it, just to slow the pace of it. So tennis, okay, let's do tennis this summer and let's go on a tennis camp and then let that rest. And then, okay, soccer. Okay, we do, we, we have a little, but what, in one of the books I co-authored called Beyond Winning, uh, uh, Smart Parenting in a Toxic Youth Sport Environment, we dig right into this because, and this is just with sports. And so we don't, you know, we, this is not, not the purpose of our chat today, but just to mention. No, I love this things, topic. Yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge topic. Um, uh, um one of the things we discovered in writing that book was that if you start your child in competitive sports with multiple nights training each week, um, and you do that before the age of 12, over 80% of kids who start sports too young before the age of 12 have quit before the age of 16. Mm. Kids who start at the age of 12 or later their quit rate is tiny, mm. right? Now, I've I've got teenagers. I'm a dad of teenagers. And I tell you what, I'm so glad they're into basketball and I'm so glad that they are into soccer because they're, a, they're so healthy at their age because there are so many unhealthy things at their age that they could be doing. And they're not. I do not want them to quit at the age of 16 because – then it's then there's all sorts of other stuff they could be getting into. That's one thing. But Lindsay, the other thing is sometimes people say to me, having simplicity, having balance in your life, like Kim, isn't that that you've got to get your kids going because they we've got to give them the competitive edge, you know? Mm. Isn't that the that's the that's the that's the modern world? And you know what? That's a um it's actually not true. It's and I'll, I'll just give you some data to back that rather bold statement up uh, the trade department. I did some math on trade department uh, uh, um, data. And in 2015, way back, we passed a, a um, we passed the tipping point over 50% of all employment was self-employed, mm. right. Or part-time, but not benefited. And it was a gig economy. It was putting it together, part-time self-employed. Now, Lindsay, probably like you, you've had patches in your life. Many of us had where we've been self-employed, right? It's what I am and, now. <laughs> right. Now, Lindsay, if I had to ask you, if I may, what is it, what, what, what is a small handful of words you would come up with if you had to choose like single words to describe self-employment and being successful, what words would occur to you? Um, for me, I would say I need to be creative. Okay. Um, work hard, independent, mm -hmm. dedicated, self-reliant, mm -hmm. self-reliant. I, a lot of that, I feel working for myself. I feel a lot like it's kind of lonely sometimes. So self-reliant, creative, I would say motivated. I would add to that grit, right? Yeah. You don't have a team to, to, uh, you know, meet with and check in on everything. I oftentimes hear my husband on the phone with his coworkers and I'm like, I wish I had that, you know, like it's accountability too. Right, right. Self-accountability, self-motivation. Yeah. It's about the self, right? It's about what you develop inside yourself. Yeah. Now, getting back to your point earlier, where do kids learn that? Mm. They learn it in play. Yeah. The kids learn through play how to be, how to self-motivate. They learn through building their forts how to, when it falls down, how to build it again properly. They learn through playing in the park a pickup game of some you know, tag or some crazy game they've invented. They learn creativity because they invented the game, but then they morph it because it was no fun when they did it like that. And let's do it like this. And, and this is not just social skills 
in isolation, this is literally myelinating these parts of the brain. Mm. It's, it's, it, it's laying down pathways. So when we give our kids, when we hold back from overscheduling them and living inside other people's schedules, other people's creativity, when we stick them in sports clubs way too young where they're where there's there's very little creative. I mean, that's rules you have to, you stand in there as a little seven-year-old and you have to obey, obey all these rules. You can't say, hey, new rule. Why don't we all run over to that tree and back and it, whoever gets it gets to kick the goal. I mean, Lindsay, why not? That's right. a seven-year-old. That's a healthy seven-year-old play stage. New rule. You hear it all the time. I love that, yeah. There are no new rules when you play soccer. Yeah. There are no new rules when you play tennis. There's just the rules that you have to, and the lines you have to stay within. We're, we're moving into a world when our little kids, Lindsay, when your oldest is 10. Yeah. Okay. So when your oldest, oh, well and truly, um, when your oldest is, is uh, entering the workforce, um, it'll be around, I'd have to do the quick, I'm pretty quick with math, but it's probably around in excess of 70%, 75% of all jobs will require self-motivation, mm-hmm. self-grit, self-determinate, like all that stuff. So when people say to me, Kim, all this simplicity and balance, that's fine, but that's a world that doesn't exist anymore. All this low screen stuff, because when kids watch a screen, they're watching someone else's creativity. They're yes. not watching, they're not coming up with it themselves. And they're moving into a world where they need to be the creators, not passively watching someone else's. That was Steve Jobs' answer as to why he didn't have screens for his kids. You know that, right? Yeah. He did not have screens for his kids because he wanted them to be self-creative, not watch passively watch someone else's kids. And so when that said to me that that world, oh, that's so sweet, that's the 1950s, saying, mm. you know what, it's not. That's the 2030s, 40s, and 50s. That is the world our kids are going into. And we give them the hugest competitive advantage if we simplify and balance and let their creativity, motivation, problem solving, if we give them a chance for that, they're going to be the new superstars. That's my point. This is not an anachronism and moving back into the past at all. Hey friends, a quick break here to let you know that this podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network. Okay. We have several other shows in our network that I think you might enjoy. If you are a runner, I interview professional runners over on the podcast, All Have Another with Lindsay Hine. I've been doing that for six and a half years now. It is such a fun show. So go check it out if you're into running at all. We have a podcast called the Ready to Run podcast that's hosted by Dr. Efren Cabalas and Kurt Roser, who's a physical therapist. They talk all about running injuries and how to rehab from those and also how to prevent injuries as well. It's a very educational and awesome podcast. We also have the Illuminate podcast, which shares stories of people doing really awesome work in this world, nonprofit founders, and people who really care about helping other people. I mean, that's really what that show is. And then we have the Urban Pharmacy, which is a podcast that focuses on a holistic lifestyle hosted by Stacey Heine. You can learn more about all the shows in our network when you go to sandyboyproductions.com. All right, back to the show. It's so difficult as someone who I've been very adamant about not having screens in my kids' faces at all times. Like you will not see my kid at a doctor's office, in a restaurant, at the grocery store, any in the car, you will not see them. You know, sometimes you see kids walk into, like I'll see kids walk into my son's soccer game, siblings staring at a screen as the sibling spectator at a soccer game. And I'm thinking, what is happening here? You know, this kid isn't even learning how to interact with other, other kids. They can't even lift their head up from their screen. Um, and I will say we got my kids an Xbox for Christmas and very hesitantly. And when we set a boundary and we just say like, it's not happening at this time, it's not even an option. It's off the table. They forget about it. They don't talk about it and they start playing really creatively. So what I found with the screens is like, 
I have to set boundaries and have, you know, like this is when it's okay or whatever, because otherwise they will. And this is coming from a family whose kids haven't had them that much. They'll obsess. And some people will say, well, they're obsessed because you haven't had them that much. No, that, Lindsay, that is, that is, um, um, that is completely untrue. I'm putting it politely. I was going to say something else. Um, the, the, um, they obsess about it. That has got nothing to do with it. They, that what they obsess about is that, is that Xbox in particular video gaming is designed from the ground up to be obsessive and to stimulate dopamine and dopamine is, is the addiction is the addiction cycle quick, quick cycles of pleasure, quick cycles of reward. Look, I was at a conference very recently where a very well-known um, neurologist set up a whole, a whole bunch of, uh, of brain imaging and said, now, what are, what are these? And there were some really smart people there and they looked carefully and they, they said, oh, this is, this is the picture of addiction and, and particularly cocaine addiction. And he said, absolutely right. But what are the other six? Because there were 12 of them. And they said, well, no, they're all addiction. And he said, no, they're not. What are the other six? And they were gamers, kids, 10-year-olds who were gaming. You cannot tell, hardly tell the difference between someone on cocaine and a child gaming in terms of their brain development, in terms of the brain, where the brain lights up. This stuff is, and there are, there are you know, if you've seen the, the, um, if you've seen the a documentary uh, or various documentaries, but the social dilemma, yeah, the, the people are blowing the whistle on this now. And yeah. when, in my private practice, I, I still have a counseling practice. It's still very, you know, current. So I'm not, you know, like this, some old guy out of touch, but the, <laughs> um, but the, um, I recommend probably about six out of 10 people do the Victoria Dunkley uh, 28 day brain detox. Now, Victoria Dunkley is a medical doctor who is at the cutting edge of, of uh, screen addiction, and it is a formal addiction now. And people who are brave enough to do the 28-day screen detox, and she sets up how to do it, then to run it, and then how to come off it, um, are always, you know, just... Uh, kind of amazed or moved or we had no idea like there was a little boy who uh a little three-year-old boy who was biting and was biting all the other, and he had been uh um expelled believe it or not from two daycare centers so uh, his behavior was was he would scream if he was stopped you know biting and so on and uncontrollable um this mom and dad very bravely, because it's a very brave thing to do, yeah. took screens out of his life, just completely no screens for 28 days, followed Victoria Dunkley's regime, and he stopped biting within the first four days. He mm. stopped screaming after the first week. He made friends for the first time in his little life by the end of the second week. And by the third week, he was being um, uh, uh, invited to all these different play. He'd never been on a play date, so now the mother had a problem, as that she didn't want to get into over her head with too many play dates. That little boy's life was transformed, and it's not an accident. This thing about well, they obsess about it because they don't have it is simply not true. It is. It's the it's the biochemical reaction. But those of us who have a little bit of screens in the home, Lindsay, we've got to be dead careful because of what I call screen creep. Mm. where it creeps out now oh, if you can hold a line saying for example the xbox comes out on this time and that time it comes out for two periods of half an hour per week that's it i am willing to die on this parental hill then it might work but i tell you what it's really hard to, to hold to that it is so so hard. yeah i mean that it. that time flies i mean it flies for you and it flies from the for them. Yep. And and I think that that's what a lot of it is with parenting today is um it's easy. It's easy because yep. they're they're quiet and they leave you alone. One of the comments that I that that I've heard a lot about screens as a babysitter is that it's it's a law of diminishing returns. Yeah. If you when you take screens away from being a babysitter because you've got to get stuff done. I hear it all the time. Totally. You know, and I get it. I totally get it. But if you set them up with a crafting corner and you set that you set it up well. Yeah. And then you start them off 
so that you move in close, but then you move to the neighborhood of what mm -hmm. they're doing. You don't have to help them anymore. After a little while, they'll get used to doing it themselves. And then you move out. So you move from the point to, to being proximal, to being peripheral. You move way back and now start just doing your own stuff, getting supper ready. They're doing their crafting. You're getting supper. That lasts for hours. Mm -hmm. Whereas screens, um, if uh, you've got more than one kid, they will start arguing and oh, fighting and begging for more. Turn. And you'll say just one hour and they'll say, mom. And then, and actually it's, it's, it's one of the, if you had to hire a babysitter, if you hired a babysitter that gave you what screens do, you would not, you would never hire that babysitter again because the, the kids end up upset. They end up fighting. They end up nagging. Would you really hire a babysitter? that that brought that out in your kids i think very few of us would my biggest struggle in this department has been neighbors and their kids on screens because i know what's going to happen when my kid goes to their house and then they want to go more and more and then they come home and you know I keep it pretty minimal here. And so then I get frustrated because I'm like, oh, when everybody's here, it's crazy because I don't allow all the screens. And I know when they're going to so-and-so's house, it's quiet there because they're sitting on screens. And it becomes really frustrating because you also don't want to be the parent that's like hovering like, hey, I only want Russell on screens for 30 minutes while he's over there. If it's more than that, please send him home. Um, yeah, that's been one of my biggest challenges, honestly, because I love my kids playing with the neighbor kids, but it's like our our family culture is different than their family culture, and I really want to stick to that. There's a couple of things in that, isn't there? I really empathize with that, and one of them is that the is that the only place we can control really is our home. You remember that that wonderful book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, by Stephen mm -hmm. Covey. Mm -hmm. One of the most highly effective people, and I'd say parents, is to understand that there are things there's there are things that within our circle of control and there are things that are, are within our circle of concern your neighbors are within your circle of concern with what they allow what's within your control is your home and that's mm -hmm. all we can do it's really all we can do that's a highly effective person who operates within their circle of control so if you think about the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system when when you've got arousal stimulation um, and you've, and that's the sympathetic nervous system. Kids watch TV and, and they're, they're, sympath, they're sympathizing with what's happening around them, right? And then there's the calming, there's the parasympathetic. Now, if they go to the neighbors and they, and they, are, and they get really stimmed, you know, they get highly aroused and the sympathetic nervous system kicks in, as long as they can come home mm -hmm. and calm, Mind you, you pick up the tab because they're just in off. They're insane for a couple of hours. Yes. Um, but but um, you know, but sooner or later, the parasympathetic starts to to, and, and then they reboot. Then they calm, and that means that what you're doing that's within your control is all you can do. But it is keeping the nervous system balanced. Because they know what to expect inside your home, they do, and and within their within their vagal like within their, their their nervous system, when they put their head down on the pillow at night, there's much more of a chance of them being balanced. If you've got a low or no screen, if they if they have screens at the neighbourhood and they have screens at parties, there's even screens in gas stations. There's screens mm -hmm. in pediatricians' offices. It's unbelievable. I know, but the, uh, so there are screens everywhere so that's all sympathetic nervous system right that's all arousal that's all stimulation that's that's stimulating stuff we know that because the program's designed to do it because that makes more money the advertisers get paid more it gets more eyeballs as they put it right but if when they come home they it's a quieter environment um there's a there's a pain painful period where they're transitioning from yes. high stimulation to then coming back into themselves. But if we give them the chance to calm after the, after the arousal and then the, the calming, then, then their, their little nervous systems have a much better chance of staying in whack, of staying in balance. And so it's kind of all we can do. You know, there are some practical stuff like, you know, let's all, um, let's go on an outing, let's ride our bikes, you know, 
um, let's, you know, there's leaving good stuff out in the yard if you're lucky enough to have a yard and where they can, where they can build forts, mm -hmm. where they can, you know, I that we can absolutely do that kind of stuff. But when it spills over, particularly to in-laws, to you know, this is not just neighborhood kids now, but grandparents, the children's grandparents, they're often some of the most guilty parties. Oh, oh my gosh. That yep. is so we don't live near ours, but yes. And they're and they're trying to be lovely and they're trying to but but how weird that you don't live near your grandparents, many of us don't, and you go there and rather than play play games with them and get involved in also stuff and carving or whittling or building a fort. They turn the television on because they're trying to be modern. Mm -hmm. Many grandparents, or they can't be bothered. That's they want to do their own well. thing. Yep. They're doing their own thing. Um, and we can't necessarily stop that because we want our kids to see their grandparents. But what we can do is make sure that if we're staying over at grandparents, you know, try to get an Airbnb somewhere nearby so we don't so we don't have to be subjected to it all the time. Mm. Or even if you've got to stay with them, withdraw them and just read a book to them. Um, bring some crafting material, bring some 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 finger knitting, some modeling beeswax, so that so that it goes so that the the sympathetic, uh, the the intake, the, the stimulated nervous system is counterbalanced with the story. With the with with the cuddle, with the with the game, the quiet little game that you're playing, with the little back rub that you're giving, you know, at night, you know, and so on and so on, so that you get so so that after that visit to the grandparents, you don't spend three or four days with your kids out of control. Yeah, you know that with the the boundaries, it's like I want so desperately for my kids to understand, like if you know the allotted time on the video game or whatever it is. And we stick to these boundaries. Like you're going to be so much more regulated and happy. You don't think you will be because it's not enough time in your little, you know, your brain, but I just want them to so desperately know that actually we will be happier this way. And it's really hard to reason with and explain that to an eight-year-old. You know, it, it, it really is. And, 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 you know, one of the, um, in, I don't mean to be self-referential, but this is just one of the books no, I wrote please called do. The Soul of Discipline. In The Soul of Discipline, you know, I can give you like a, a one-minute overarching sort of theme of that book, which yeah, means please. you don't have to read it. <laughs> <laughs> I do the weirdest thing. I write books for parents, and we absolutely do not have time to read them at that stage in our lives. Anyway, um, in that I book, I talk about- I love reading books, though. Go for it. Well, good for you with four kids. Um, when kids are little- they need boundaries. They obviously the boundaries are closer to home, you know, and I call this the time, this is the time of the governor mm. where we're the kind, warm, firm captain of the ship. We are the governor. They need us. Little children who don't know who's in charge panic, get mm. very insecure and afraid and anxious because they don't know who's in charge. So it moves from the governor, and I give all kinds of examples in the book about the governor. And then around about seven, eight, like just your eight-year-old, they're just going into this phase that I call the gardener. And the gardener phase is a good gardener plants and leaves space. A good gardener listens, a good gardener watches, but then a good gardener will make a decision about what's going to happen. So we're still, so for eight, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year old, we're in this, we give a little bit more space now and we're really listening to our children. I remember my daughter when she was nine, I said to her, sweetheart, tomorrow's Saturday morning and we've got you know, this and this to do. D do you have something you'd like to do? Mm. And she said, well, yes, daddy, I do. That's just how she speaks, by the way. Yes, well, I do. And she told me all the things she wanted. And, and so we figured it out and some she could do and some she couldn't. And we might have to wait until next weekend. And, and, and I said, good love. Good, good, good. And she said, but daddy, I really like it when you speak to me like that. Oh. And I said, do you love? And she said, yes. And you'll do it rather a lot more, won't you? <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's, <laughs> you know, it's not that, you see, if we don't make the shift from the, from the governor to the gardener, our kids don't want to be treated like little babies. So eight so we, is the age you say? Yeah, around 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 eight. 
9, 10, 11, 12, okay. around then. It begins about 7, but it's really in its sweet spot around 10, 11, 12. And then around 14, 15, 13, 14, 15, it's not the governor, it's not the gardener, it's the guide. Mm. And the guide is, you know, kids, are, I, I want to help teenagers. The best conversations I've ever had with them are about their direction, what they're discovering, the mm. things that they love to do, the their direction in life, right? And so I talk to them, the best conversations we can have with teenagers are about, is that a distraction to your direction? Mm. Is what just happened at school a distraction? Is is the way you're speaking to me or your mother, is that a distraction or is that a direction? And, you know, it, because kids can be spectacularly disinterested in our opinions when they're 15. I mean, mm. honestly, so disinterested in our opinions, but they're much more interested in their direction. So then we make the transition when they're 14, 15 to talking about their direction and so we're giving them more space. See, a lot of parents say, you know, they will, they, they'll be a natural guide. Some parents are just brilliant. They're natural guides. They love coming alongside kids. They love talking about what they want to do, giving them lots of choices. But if you, you're a natural guide and you're doing that to raise a three-year-old, that's going to get colorful really quickly. Mm. That, that, that a child's going to feel very insecure because they don't know who's in charge. But conversely, if you try to be a governor to a 16-year-old, um, and sometimes we have to be if they're making very, very bad choices, but if you're in general being a governor to a 16-year-old, and that's more appropriate to a six-year-old, you're going to get yourself into all kinds of trouble and the relationship will start to disconnect. Mm. So in that book, The Soul of Discipline, I talk about how to move from the governor to the gardener to the guide. There, you don't have to read it anymore. No, but we should. <laughs> you know, it's interesting as a parent of so many kids in like kids in different phases, you know, because you sometimes like clump everybody together and to, to make that shift with the bigger ones while you're still in this other stage with the little ones. Um, it's kind of interesting. And um, it's yeah. something I'm going to be thinking about a lot. Well, Lindsay, with the little ones, if they say, but why is Russell allowed to, right? Okay. Exactly. But then, but if you follow this model, this very simple model of governor, gardener, guide, then you can say to, a, to your little one, oh, that is right. You, you will be allowed to do that when you are your brother's age. That's exactly right. So then it's easy. It's dead easy, actually, to answer those questions. And you give a gift of anticipation to a child that they will be able to do that. Mm. One of the things they say a lot to children when they're very grumpy when they're little is, and it's a lovely in one one way or another to say this in one's own words. But oh, I know that that you so wish that was a little girl's choice, don't you? You do, you do, you do wish that was a little girl's choice. And you know what? That's a mummy choice. That's a daddy choice. And when you're a mummy or a daddy or a big grown up, that'll be your choice then. But it's that's not a little. So I don't want to get in a child's face and say that is not your choice. Mm -hmm. It is. That's just not a little girl choice. Mm. That's just not. Oh, dear. It takes it away and, from like you to like this is the stage of life you're in right now. This is the stage of life you're in and mummy is keeping you safe. Yeah. And that's a mummy. And it gets us out of these long I mean, it's just, a, it's arguing with a, mm -hmm. with a four-year-old is a very unfortunate, unattractive look. <laughs> and exhausting so for both you and them. <laughs> yes. It gets nowhere. Oh, that's so great. Um, okay. Well, we're going to wrap up here with some end of podcast questions with the side note that I'd love to have you back on to talk about social inclusion, social resilient kids in these different phases. You have so many amazing talks you give um, and we'll direct everybody to your website for that in the show notes. But yeah, I mean, there's just so many topics I know that you could just teach us all about. So I'd love to have you back on. Oh, that, that would be a pleasure, but it's, I don't, I, I think it's really just, 
isn't it just chatting? <laughs> oh, I, oh, yes. I mean, that's one of the reasons I started this podcast too, because I'm just walking through all this and I'm like, I want to process this. And it's such a gift that I'm able to do that on this platform in front of people like they get, and hopefully they're getting, they're soaking up what I'm soaking up during these conversations. It, it really does feel like a, a gift that I get to talk to people like you. So thank you for giving us the opportunity. Of course. Yeah. Um, okay. So I've got a few questions we always wrap up with. What is something professionally or personally that you, you've authored so many books, you've done so many things in your career, but what would you like to do that you haven't done yet in this part of your life? I I think uh, um, it's, it's for me, it's ever, it's, it's ever a question of deepening. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just layering and layering down and and having the having the space to do that and that's always something that one hasn't done yet because there's always another layer to layer down to yeah good uh what is the best most recent book you've read gosh i'm a i'm such a a a read and read and read Mm. um perhaps perhaps the best book i've read i've got four or five on the go right now so it's Um, I loved rereading recently a book that I'm, you've probably looked at uh, too, which is The Whole Brain Child. Mm. I, I dipped into that again um, recently and was really pleased to, 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 to just read that through again. Yeah. What's the book? Like, I always, I always think about this and I don't have a book that I just gift people, but like, is there a book in your life that you're like, okay, this is the book I want to carry around in my trunk and just like hand out to people? Yeah, you see that, that, that that's a real problem because what I want to <laughs> hand out to people is, is, is living simply, I, you know, and yeah. any book that touches on that subject of slowing it down and living simply, that's what I want to do because that's, that's when that's when we're connected with our kids. It's not just that it's, 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 that's when we live our values. And so anything to do with connecting, living our values with kids, that's, that's the ilk of books. Yeah. Mm. That I'm interested in. All right. Two more questions. Do you have a trip, a place that you've visited with your family that you recommend? Well, yes. Um, you know, when my children were younger, we, I don't know if I should confess this or, or not, but we used to put them on the back of my wife and I on the back of our motorcycles. And we used to go off on long, we rode 9,000 miles around the country with our kids on the back of our motorcycles. Are you serious? And way up to northern Canada and way down again. And and so we we tend to do long distance tours, but now my kids are grown up, but they've got their own motorcycles and off we go. Together. You're a motorcycle family. I never would have well, guessed. We are, but we also have horses, you know, so we have the real, the real horse, not just the iron horse. So how old were your kids when you did this? Um, and your wife uh, had a motorcycle 10 too. And, 10 and 12. And like, how many hours at a time would you be riding with Not them? Not too many. That's, we took three or four months and because at too many hours, it's just, it's no fun. Yeah. So, and we wanted to, they'd never been on an airplane at that age in their lives. So we wanted to show them their country on the ground. Uh-huh. And so we went from national parks to all these be- places of real beauty, but we also went to like coal mines in West Virginia, where they just stood there and cried at the blasted landscape. They were so sad that that oh. people would do that to the earth. Mm. And, you know, for good reason, that's a complicated issue, I know. But we, yeah, we wanted to show them their, their country close up. And we camped all, 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 all the way. Yeah. I mean, that might be the coolest answer I've ever heard on this podcast. And I can't, you and your wife both riding your motorcycles and now your kids have their own. I mean, that is really cool. Well. Yeah, I kind of sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes I, w- I wonder what I've gotten us into, but there you are. Yeah. Uh, last message to leave with our audience today. I guess the last message is, is for us to trust our instinct as, as parents, because our gut, our instinct, where so much of our intelligence is, is telling us this is not okay. Something is wrong. We didn't have to grow up like this. We had space, most of us, not all, but 
uh, uh, something is wrong and something needs to set right. And I, I actually need to, I actually need to give my kids more space. I need to give my children a childhood. Mm. That's the last message. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Total pleasure. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Dr. Kim John Payne for coming on the show. If you all want to learn more about everything that he's doing, go to simplicityparenting.com. I would love to connect with you. I am Lindsay Hine, 626 on Instagram. I'm why is everyone yelling? That's this podcast on Instagram. And I'm at Lindsay Hine on Twitter. If you have any suggestions for this show, questions, comments, anything at all, please send me an email, lindsay at sandyboyproductions.com. Thank you so much for being here and we will see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling?